most people tend to hit the wall within one mile of their longest run within the last three weeks. If you push the distance of your long run beyond the distance of your race, you have a chance to not ever hit the wall. This is Running For Real, the podcast for runners who know that for every runner's high, there are just as many lows. All those just missed PRs, easy runs that feel hard, injury blues, and more. Each week, we'll talk to running, health, and wellness experts about their highs, lows, and best advice to build our confidence. Running For Real is about being honest, being brave, and most of all, not feeling alone. And now here's our host, who would never choose an RV vacation, Tina Muir. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode number 84 of Running For Real. We are closing in on 100 pretty quick now. And uh, that's really exciting, but uh, I am already starting to get things into the works for that 100th episode. I think I have a guest who maybe I want to use for that, but I also don't want to hold it back that long because I think I worked out that uh, episode 100 is going to be around middle of January. And uh, this guest I am interviewing in just, well, it'll be a few days from when you're listening to this. Uh, but I am very, very excited. And let's just say it's a guest that I never thought I would get. Now, if you are supporting me on Patreon, you will know who that guest is. And hopefully you are just as excited as I am. And on that note, if you are a Patreon member, you will hear that today I have some questions asked from Patreon uh, supporters. So thank you so much to all those people who have. All right. So if this is your first episode listening to Running For Real, if you are a Jeff Galloway absolute fan and I do know there are many of you out there. I actually uh, recently saw on a new uh, YouTube channel called The Running Channel that uh, they call Jeff's method Jeffing which I thought was quite funny Uh, but we're going to talk all about that today. I'm kind of doing this a bit out of order. Usually things are a bit more structured but um, wanted to uh, announce about how close we are to 100 so that kind of got me off on a tangent. So if this is your first episode listening, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you will become a regular listener, subscribe and get it every Friday with your bonus episode once a month. Thank you very much for allowing me to get to that point. If you are a loyal listener and have been here for a while, you've been subscribed for a while, thank you the most. You guys have made me feel so special in all 84 of these episodes and I know you have enjoyed them and I just appreciate your feedback so much so thank you very much truly. All right so last week we heard from Laurie Richmond who is a children's writer and illustrator. I love her books personally to read to Bailey and uh, we talked to Laurie about what she does but we also focused mostly on the running. She's actually been working with New York Roadrunners at events in the past to kind of uh, bring a way of showing that we can be creative and runners at the same time. I didn't think it was possible. I am terrible at art. But Laurie kind of explained how that can be the case, even if you might think that you're terrible at art like I do. We also talked about her thing she does called View From My Run, which is where she will go out on a run, come back, um, and she will try and draw something she saw on her run within the amount of time it took her to do that run, which... I feel like it would stress me out because, um, you know, let's say you have two minutes left of your runtime and you're not finished and you have to put the pen down. But she talked about how kind of uh, peaceful it is and how special it is. And I just loved that episode. It was really fun. Now, today we were meant to have Steph Bruce on the podcast. I had this wonderful conversation with Steph 
And uh, we were talking about her getting ready for New York, which is, of course, this weekend. If you are racing, good luck. I wish you the best of luck. Hope it goes well. If you're racing anywhere else this weekend, good luck too. But um, I know New York is this weekend. Steph was racing this weekend and I was so excited for our conversations. She was so real, even more real than I expected her to be. And uh, I don't know if you saw on my social media, but I ended up losing the podcast when my Mac went into uh, be fixed by Apple. I thought I had it. I did not have it. I lost that and an additional episode uh, with Jake Whiteman, which I was really annoyed about. Now, I thought about re-recording those episodes, calling them straight back up and setting up another time. But the whole podcast, the whole thing about Running For Real is this podcast is supposed to be real, you know, it's supposed to be like as if you're sitting in a coffee shop listening to a conversation and I just didn't feel like that would be the case. I've had that happen to me before where people have lost episodes. Oh, once I guess it happened to me, have lost an episode of mine. We tried to re-record it, but I just felt like I spent the whole time trying to remember, remember, excuse me, what I um, said the first time around. So I didn't want to do that to them. So I will have both of those guests on, maybe Steph after she races New York. Uh, but I do apologize for that. Now, I do have someone who is equally as impressive, if not one of the most impressive people I could ever have on the podcast, someone who is an absolute household name, possibly one of the biggest names in the running industry, which is Jeff Galloway. As I mentioned earlier, um, he is known for his uh, run, walk, run method. And we're going to talk about that today and why it's not just for beginners. We're also going to talk about, you know, what he did in his career as a runner, how he fits in all the things he does. And you guys are not going to believe what he does the weekend of uh, Run Disney at 73 years old. It just... I. My jaw was on the floor. Absolutely amazing. This guy is just so full of energy, so full of passion, and he is just the nicest, sweetest guy. So I hope you enjoy this episode today with Jeff Galloway, and uh, I think it's best if we just go meet him. Thanks. You know I genuinely care about the brands that I choose to share with you. That's why I turned down a big brand recently as I really dislike their products, so I backed out. But I'm so excited to introduce you to a new sponsor, Bomber Socks. It is just in time for marathon season and I'm always telling you that you need to practice with your outfit before the day. Well, now's the perfect time to get some new socks to wear on race day and I'll tell you about why I love them so much later in the show. Thank you to Body Health for sponsoring this episode of the Running For Your Podcast. I am so thankful to Body Health and their support, not just of this podcast, but of me through their perfect amino products. They help me recover faster and feel better. You too can get 10% off at bodyhealth.com using code TINA10. Jeff, I say this to everyone, but I genuinely mean it today. Well, not that I don't ever normally mean it, but I mean it extra today. I am so excited to have you on the Running For Real podcast. I am just thankful for you being here and giving me some of your time. So thanks so much. Well, Tina, you do a great job. I hear from your listeners quite regularly at various events, and uh, they really like what you do. They really Love you, and you're providing a great service. Oh, well, thank you. That is quite an honor coming from you and actually leads in perfectly to what I was going to say. You know, not only are you one of the most recognized, if not the most recognized name in running, you are also one of the nicest people I have ever met. And um, my first question to you is, how do you keep your feet on the ground? You know, most people in your position would kind of see themselves as like, 
kind of like, look at me, I am emperor, like I have all these people below me, but you seem to just, you know, be able to relate to recreational runners of every level. You seem to just be able to keep, you know, that genuine humbleness about you. So how have you found that you have managed to stay in touch and stay connected to people all these years later? First of all, I had great mentors in my father and mother. Uh, They were absolutely wonderful people. And they taught me a lot of the values that I now adhere to mm-hmm. because they were right. And <laughs> in, in this area, it, it's it's being respectful to other people yes. and treating each person uh, with uh, an amount of respect that allows them to realize what they want to, whether it be just talking to you or, in my case, it's often how do I improve my health? How do you? How do I improve my running? Anyway, it's wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. And and it, you know that that is really shown through. I mean, I love that you mentioned it was your parents that kind of started that off, and that is such an important thing. It was something I realize now, especially having a daughter now, that how much uh, as much as you can want them to be specific people or learn specific things, unless you're modeling that yourself they're never going to pick it up. So that's great that you did have such good role models. And and you, you mentioned there about people doing this for health, maybe coming into the running world for the first time. What is it about runners that are fresh into the sport that you enjoy working with so much? I mean, we're going to talk about the more experienced runners in a minute, but what about brand new runners? Why do you enjoy working with them? Well, all uh, elite runners and, and runners that are time goal runners will be influencing beginners. And so for the segment of your audience who prides themselves on their competition and, and getting faster and so forth, realize that even if you're just nice to a beginner and, and give them a couple of hints, they're going to improve their running and their life by uh, enjoying the process And it doesn't take much to be nice to people, Mm -hmm. but the whole prospect of getting into, for a beginner to get into running is, uh, I learned in researching for my mental training book, it's mostly mental in every way you can imagine. First of all, the benefits are huge mentally. They're they're even greater on the mental side than they are the physical Mm -hmm. side. And so once a person starts on this journey, they are bound to have some good mental experiences because running turns on the circuits for a better attitude, for more vitality and for personal empowerment better than anything that's ever been studied. Mm -hmm. And so um, the, the problem occurs when people either listen to too many different types of uh, advice or they think that, if a little bit of running is good, then a lot of it has got to be absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. They get injured, they get burned out, they have all types of, uh, of frustrations and pains. So I guess the force of my life in working with beginners is to provide them with a plan, mm-hmm. uh, a cognitive plan, because then they can change up the cognitive aspects of the plan and, and stay in control over aches and pains and over motivation and and just change their life for the better. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it definitely has been that. And I was reading somewhere that, you, I mean, you've 
coached over 1 million people, which we're going to talk about in just a second. But related to what you just said there, for someone listening, you know, you said um, beginners appreciate, you know, advice, just little things that you could share. How do you find the balance between wanting to give people advice? Maybe it's, you know, a family member who's just getting into it and you want to give them advice. But at the same time, as you mentioned, it's kind of a too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing. And, uh, you know, how do you find the balance of kind of giving them stuff, but also leaving them alone to kind of um, figure out their own journey and not patronizing them or saying, you know, well, you don't want to do this. Um, I'm just thinking about someone close to us who we may, who may struggle kind of finding that balance. Well, I must admit, I think that uh, my greatest challenges in getting folks to listen to me have been within my own family (laughs) and various family members. Um, That said, uh, I don't try to come down hard and say, you've got to do this or this is the best way or whatever. I just simply say, I've got a plan. It's been used that I know by over half a million people who've gotten back to me. And it really does work. Uh, You can stay injury free. And if you want that, let me know. I'll be glad to help you. And I spend most of my day answering email questions from people who have either been referred by clients of mine uh, or people that have attended my retreats or my running schools. And they say, they, I give out my email address and they give it out to other people. And it's wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people at first are going to look on the internet and get totally confused. And then they usually come to me. Yeah. And uh, you are the the words of wisdom there. And and we're going to talk about more about what you do and kind of the, the people that you've worked with over the years. But before we get any further, um, you know, you, you're not just a coach or a trainer or someone who inspires people, but you also competed in the 1972 Olympic Games in the, in the 10K yourself. So um, and you've also broken the 10 mile, uh, record, which you did in 1973. So for those listening who, you know, maybe kind of see it as, oh, you're just some superhuman who, um, you know, could, could run at the very top level and can coach all these people and inspire all these people. I'm just an everyday person. Um, what would, what would you say to them to kind of believe that they too can inspire people to run or, or be their best selves? There are a few people that I encounter who have that reaction. Uh, In other words, they look at at my background and they say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Uh, And and this is the one negative part I see today in a lot of beginners. They sort of dismiss uh, elite athletes saying that uh, I'll never be able to do that. They're on a different plane. And, And of course, in a lot of ways they are. Uh, But my method has been fine-tuned over the last 45 years in giving advice to beginners and getting it back from now over half a million people. So I can tell them with complete certainty that it works, and it particularly works for those that don't have talent. Uh, Those who have a lot of talent got there mostly because they chose their parents well. (laughs) And uh, right from the 
first international competition I had in Munich, I realized that uh, when I talked to other athletes about their training, that they were making a lot of mistakes, but they were able to succeed because mm-hmm. they had such amazing innate talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people don't, and that's where I can come in and lead them along mm-hmm. and avoid injuries. What about the people that kind of are maybe, you know, you hear from time to time of these people who, you know, maybe their first marathon was a, a 4.25 and then they ran a 3.30 and then they ran a 2.50 and then suddenly they're on the, you know, 2.35 kind of level for a marathon or just something similar to that. You know, we hear that quite often and it can be quite inspiring, but also at the same time disheartening for people thinking, you know, what if that's me? How do I know that's not me? Uh, maybe I just need to train harder, faster, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, how can we take those stories and find them inspiring or even know if maybe you are one of those people or just kind of say, okay, well, that's great. That's really cool that that person grew like that. But for me, you know, um, I'm just going to do the best that I can. But again, trying to stay away from that comparison trap. That type of improvement is not rare. It's just extremely rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, having coached over a million people and heard back from over half a million, I can tell you there aren't many of those people out there. But what it shows is that they all always had that talent mm. and they were never given an opportunity to train enough to bring it out. And once they did, it can happen. But let me tell you, that is so rare that... Uh, uh, I'd like to know that person and take them to Las Vegas and, and hit the jackpot that way. <laughs> they hit the jackpot and run. Yeah, for sure. And and it is it is cool to see, but like you said, it's very rare to kind of come across. And that's why the media maybe shows it, because it is such a rare story. Okay, so let's start, dig deeper into, you know, you've mentioned your method, the run-walk method, I think. Everyone listening should have heard of that somehow. Um, but for those who don't know, um, you know, how did you kind of come up with the decision to kind of add walk breaks in there? Um, because obviously at the time, if it was kind of named the Galloway method, uh, no one else was doing that. So what made you decide to, to bring that in? I used it myself. In 1970, I um, got out of the U.S. Navy having spent three years and I was not in very good shape uh, because I was on a ship for the first 18 months and wasn't able to run but once every 21 days, if I was lucky then. So um, I was coming back from being out of shape, and I was going to graduate school at Florida State University where it was extremely hot and humid. Mm-hmm. and. I had my sights set on just trying to qualify to get into the Olympic trials two years later. So I had all my long runs charted out every six months. And if uh, I didn't take walk breaks on the long runs, I literally would see hallucinations uh, in the heat and humidity that, that occurs down there. So I was doing it regularly from 1970. Let me just pause you there. How how long of a walk break would you take in that? Occasion? I would run for about a mile and, and walk for about a minute. Okay. Okay. And uh, I would bring some uh, bags of water with me and, and pour it over my head. Yeah. <laughs> or at the Florida State uh, University track at the time, they had an outdoor shower 
Uh-huh. Uh, you could do a loop around the campus, come back and pull the chain and drench yourself. And nice. I'd, I'd use that a lot on some of the extremely hot days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, you use that for your training. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but. Yeah. So uh, that is where I started uh, knowing that it could work. And and what I was trying to do is is find the right amount of distance for the long run. Uh, and I really didn't have any clues. There wasn't anything written on this. There were just opinions uh, among people who had done it. And the prevailing idea in the marathon at the time was that you don't run any more than 20 miles. And a lot of people didn't run any more than about 17 or, or 16 miles. I was running between 20 and 21 miles and then uh, went to the Pan American Games trials out in Eugene, Oregon in 1971 and met Kenny Moore, who was our, well, he won that uh, event in Mm -hmm. in 71. And he uh, also made the Olympic team in Munich and finished fourth. But uh, he ran 30 mile runs. And, and so I would usually hit the wall around 20, 21 miles, and Kenny did not hit the wall. And as I drove away from that competition all the way back to Tallahassee, Florida, I kept thinking about that and how dumb I was for not realizing that to run longer, you need to run longer. Mm. And uh, So I incorporated that right away. But in the heat of Tallahassee and the 30-mile runs that I got into – it was absolutely mandatory for me to take regular walk breaks. And on some days, I took those walk breaks a lot more frequently than just once a mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say, so, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, as you started to bring this out, as you started to kind of coach other people and talk about it, did you get resistance from other people saying, no, 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 uh, you know, real runners, quote unquote, uh, don't use walk breaks or, you know, did a lot of people kind of say to you, like, oh, I don't know about that? Or was it very much like, okay, well, if that works for you? There was a lot of that in the beginning. But you see, in the beginning, the way I came up with this, uh, I was asked to coach a class in of beginning runners, mm. 22 of them. It was 1974. It was early 1974. And... Um, None of them had done any running for at least five years. Most of them had never done any distance running at all. So I realized that I was going to have to put some walk breaks in there, uh, having had good experience with challenges Mm. on my own with the walk breaks. So um, very quickly, we divided, I divided the class up into three groups based on their current ability level. And I went out every week with each group and made sure that each group was taking walk breaks from the beginning. By the end of the 10-week class, all 22 stayed with it, and all 22 finished either a 5K or a 10K. But what really surprised me and impressed me, there were no injuries. There were no injuries during the whole season, uh, during the races, and I stayed in touch with most of them over the next six months, and they didn't get injured either. They kept using Run, Walk, Run. So I started using the run, walk, run method with beginners, and uh, I was just starting my Fidipides store, uh, and it, it was the, the first running store around, and 
there wasn't much business back in 1973 mm-hmm. and 74 when I began. So uh, having classes in the store brought people in and then uh, doing some coaching uh, and ha- then training groups. My, my training groups started in the 70s and are continuing to this day. Yeah. Uh, but the whole concept then was first use walk breaks for beginners. After a few years, a number of the former beginners were starting to compete in races, and they continued to use Run, Walk, Run and started beating the veterans. Mm. And the veterans were coming to me and saying, now, what what was this thing that you coached so-and-so to do here? (laughs) Walk breaks in. I don't understand it. And at first, I didn't understand it either. I really thought that the walk breaks are really only designed for beginners. But once I started seeing the results, I realized that, and, and having people try it both ways, try nonstop races and try with run, walk, run, they were running faster with run, walk, run. And mm. data continues to this day. We find that there is a time improvement in a marathon, an average time improvement of 13 minutes when oh. a nonstopper uh, decides to uh, find the right run, walk, run, and over seven minutes faster in a half marathon. Wow. So when people uh, balk at, at the run, walk, run today, I say, you know, you're the captain of the ship. Yeah. You, you do whatever you want to do, but let me tell you what the data shows. Yeah, yeah. And so is there a certain limit that you get to where, okay, once you're kind of running – this pace or this kind of level, okay, you don't, you sh- probably shouldn't need walk breaks in there, or is it in theory across the board? Well, there, it depends on the individual on a given day. I, I certainly wouldn't uh, suggest to the current world record holder that he put <laughs> walk breaks into his marathons, but I set my lifetime PR at the age of 35 years old of 216 in the marathon using walk breaks. Now, they weren't the conventional. I ran two miles and took about a 30-second walk break, and I just kept doing that for most of the rest of that marathon. And I am totally convinced uh, that that was the reason why I improved about a minute and a half on the PR because my legs had had more bounce at the end Mm. than they had ever had, even though I was a good bit older than than my 20s when I was running fast also. And when you were taking those walk breaks, if you can remember that point when you were running your best, like what did you say to yourself in that 30 seconds? Was it kind of like a essentially a reset for your mind as well? Like, all right, okay, we're, we're getting ready to go again. Um, you know, just calm yourself. Like did it give you a moment to kind of get some clarity and then go again? Absolutely. And that's one of the great benefits of a walk break. It gives you a chance to mentally focus, to give uh, yourself a form check. Mm. Uh, Am I slumping here? Am I leaning forward? Uh, Are my hips shifting backwards? Uh, Is my foot landing correctly? So once you focus on that, you activate your human brain. And this is another powerful thing I learned when writing the mental training book. You have the human brain and you have the ancient subconscious brain. Mm -hmm. And when you start running, we generally defer to the ancient brain. The problem there is that as the stress builds up, the ancient brain will secrete hormones 
that cause us to get anxious and then unmotivated because that's the ancient system when someone is pushing themselves mm-hmm. too hard. Mm-hmm. Get them to slow down. If they feel miserable, they're going to slow down. That's true. But if you have a strategy, and and my methods are based on strategy, building up to a maximum of 30 miles on the long run, putting the run-walk-run in as it should be, having strategic speed workouts that build up to 14 times half a mile for the half marathon, and so forth. These are cognitive plans that go step by step towards a goal and keep you mentally focused, which activates the human brain Mm -hmm. and then stops the flow of negative hormones from the ancient brain. Love that. And thank you for explaining that as well. I've, I've really enjoyed learning about, yeah, the two, the two types of brain called various things. Um, I don't know if you've read the book, um, Brave Athlete by, um, Leslie Patterson and Simon Marshall. That was a really good one, kind of talking about the same concept. Now, one more thing related to that. You've kind of gone over this a little bit, especially talking about your own self being able to run a 216 with some walk breaks. But what about someone who says, well, you know, I don't feel like I'm a real runner if I'm taking walk breaks. Like the real runners, they run continuously for an hour. Uh, What would you say back to that, that person who's thinking that? Well, the first thing I always say is, You are the captain of your ship. You can determine how much you're going to run, whether you're going to take walk breaks, when you take them, uh, and everything else uh, about running. So you're in charge here. All I do is explain the benefits, which are huge. Uh, I also, if there's enough time, and of course in my retreats and in my running schools, there's enough time, but I, I give the reasons behind it. Uh, there is an excellent book called The Story of the Human Body. It's written by Daniel Lieberman. Yep. And he, he chronicles the evolution of our bodies first and then the brains uh, and, and how we evolve that way. And um, what his premise is that, uh, that we really weren't designed for running nonstop for more than about maybe 200 yards. And and I've talked to a number of other anthropologists that believe that too. Why? Because the leading cause of death uh, up until very recently among humans was starvation. And of course, that's still going on now. And so with starvation being the major cause of death and uh, energy supplies and food being very limited and hard to get, our ancestors walked wherever they went. They weren't about to run and use up the resources at a rate of three to five to one by running. Mm-hmm. They walked. Now, if there was a predator around, they would haul butt to get away from <laughs> that. But, but you know, not very long because you don't want to burn up your resources there. Mm. So um, the concept then that I work off of is that since we really were not designed to run very far nonstop, I want to put everyone in their area of competency by having strategic walk breaks before something breaks or mm. use up those resources, the muscle resources, the energy resources, uh, and a number of the other areas like the fluid resources and so forth. So in a way, you are saying, for, if someone says, well, I don't feel like I'm a real runner if I don't run continuous, you're saying actually you're the ultimate real runner because you're being smart enough to kind of 
understand the sport and understand how it works enough to know that okay if I'm gonna make it this far if I'm gonna complete this in as fast as I can I need to take a break now and so that makes you you know even better of a real runner than um, someone who kind of just tries to muscle their way through it and then blows up so well you're right (laughs) but I I don't really even get into that I'm into giving them reasons And the reasons behind it are very clear. Since we really weren't designed for running long distances nonstop, bad things will happen at some point. Most common thing that happens among nonstop runners in a half or full is that they slow down Mm -hmm. dramatically at the end. Uh, And that's because the resources are gone. Uh, But injuries also result. And, And I talk every year, every month actually, with several dozen people that used to get injured at least once a month, and now they've gone 10 or 20 years with zero injuries. I've actually gone 40 years now without a running injury, and Mm. 40 years ago in 1978 is when I started taking walk breaks, and Mm. I am totally convinced that that's why I've stayed injury-free for 40 years. Yeah, well, well done. Even even just that in itself is impressive, let alone everything else you've done. Okay, one more thing. My listeners are going to kill me if I don't ask you about this. I have asked you about this before when I've interviewed you, but just quickly, if you could explain to us, you mentioned just briefly in passing, but I know they would have clocked it, about um, running over distance for marathons in training. Now that kind of goes against what most coaches and what training plan recommend. So what is your, if you were going to give a pitch to someone on why an over distance run would be a good idea. And especially for someone who's saying, well, wait a minute, that might mean that I'm out there for six or seven hours. Uh, what would you say to those people? Well, first of all, what is good for the running body and, and the ability to run faster to What is good to prepare for that is not a democratic process. So if you have 100 coaches and 99 of them say you shouldn't run more than 20 miles, but running more than 20 miles produces faster times, you can make that choice. I suggest that you go with what is going to produce a faster time if that's what you're going for. But the other major benefit for people that aren't so much interested in times is that you don't have to hit the wall. What we find is that uh, most people in halves or full marathons tend to hit the wall within one mile of their longest run within the last three weeks. And if you push the distance of your long run beyond the distance of your race, you have a chance to not ever hit the wall again. The only exception to that is if you go out too fast for that day, Mm -hmm. uh, considering weather and and so forth. But other than that, the big bit of evidence that I offer are the numerous surveys showing the time benefit when people increase the distance. So someone who used to run 20 miles as their longest and go up to 26 achieve an average of more than 15 minutes in time improvement in the marathon. And those who used to run 26 and want to qualify for Boston or set a PR and go up to 29 or 30, find another average 11 minutes of time improvement. So there's a huge amount of time improvement, but the best benefit is 
that you feel competent. Even though you're tired at the end of the race, you know you can finish because you've gone beyond that distance. For sure, yeah. And and you would say this, you know, for runners of every level uh, training for a marathon? Every level. Because uh, the for beginners, the greatest... Uh, obstacle that a lot of them go through is psychological and uh, they get up to this enormous distance ahead of them on race day and uh, all types of uh, anxiety hormones start Mm. getting dumped and if you've only gone 20 miles or less there's a legitimate reason why you get anxiety hormones because you haven't gone that distance and you still would have a 10k left after you're exhausted Mm -hmm. but if you've run 26 or more you know that you can do it because you've done it. Mm-hmm. For sure. No, and, and I think that is a, a, is a great point. And, and that's also why someone who's already done a marathon can kind of have that, you don't ever have that sense of, can I, do, can I finish? Because you've done it. You know that you can finish. Um, and, you know, I will agree with you that I didn't quite make it to 26 in, ever of, in my training cycles, but I got to, I think, 25 and a half one time. And, and it did, it, you know, it was nice thinking, I know I can do this. And I also made sure to do the time on my feet runs to make sure I was out there the maximum time that I would be out running, um, for the marathon a few times. And, and yeah, it, it definitely helps to build confidence. So for anyone listening, if you want to learn more about that, Jeff definitely has plenty of that on his website. Um, so I will put lots of links in the show notes that come along with this episode for you to go check that out. All right. And let me just say yep. one more thing. Mm-hmm. These long runs must be run slowly. Yeah. I've interviewed yeah. a number of elite African athletes, and a high percentage of them run more than 26 miles in their training. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't run it fast. Most yeah. of them are running between two and a half minutes and three minutes per mile slower on long runs than they run in their races. I used to do that too, and that's what enabled me to go up to 30 miles. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I definitely agree. I did the same thing. Okay, all right. So, you know, you've mentioned that you've had feedback from half a million people. Um, you've coached over one million. Just, you know, being real with us here a second hit, how does that sound to you? Do you ever find yourself kind of saying one million people or even half a million people you know i've recently as you know um hit one million podcast downloads but that's multiple people listening to the same uh episode but that must feel pretty special to you knowing that you've changed the lives of that many people like do you ever kind of pinch yourself and say wow like i'm so lucky that you know this has happened for me i know i'm lucky and uh but it's one person at a time. So I, I really, the only time I would really sort of focus on the one million folks plus or, or the half a million that I've talked to um, is when I'm trying to explain the basis for the method mm. and, and what has produced all of these things. And, and it's been a tremendous database in which I keep sorting through yeah. what works for people that are trying certain goals. And I continue to do that to this day. I spend about five to six hours a day on emails and this is consultation stuff. So it continues to this day. Mm-hmm. But that is the the definition of a good coach, you know, always learning, always trying to tweak things, make things better. So just goes to prove that, you know, you're, you're in capable hands if you're working with Jeff here. Um, and then will you share a story or maybe one or two, but one maybe in particular that kind of 
sticks in your mind of someone that you have worked with over the years who you inspired to run um, a story that maybe means a lot to you? I'm sure there are many, but if one kind of jumps to mind for you. Yes. Um, Elliot, uh, he was 52 years old and uh, he was experiencing a growing number of health issues. Uh, his doctor told him that he really needed to do some form of exercise because he wasn't. And um, I had the chance uh, regularly to talk to him, and and he had all the excuses in the world. Well, he goes to a high school reunion uh, that year, age 52, and out of 25 guys on the football team, only 12 were left alive. And as they, wow. a small town, and so they counted down how each person had died, and all of them had died of the degenerative diseases. And so as he drove back, uh, he realized that he could be the next one. Mm. And uh, so he got out the next day and he uh, decided to try to run from one telephone pole to the next. And uh, I had told him that. I had told him that many times, but he gave it a try. Only he thought in the beginning that he was going to be able to run three or four or five telephone poles. Mm. No, he was out. You know, he just didn't have the conditioning. So he whacked away. Every other day, he would try to go an additional telephone pole, ran three miles around this park the first year, and uh, then two laps around for 10K and entered the Peachtree Road Race in our hometown of Atlanta. And before he turned 60 years old, Elliot ran uh, two hours and 59 minutes in the marathon. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, Elliot Galloway is my father, and oh. it, it, it was just so wonderful to see him get into this. And, uh, and and the other caveat to that is he would read my writings, and he would he would adhere to some of them, but he had his own ideas about doing things too. And uh, to to culminate that, I ran step by step with my dad in his last marathon when he was 75 years old. It was the Boston Marathon. Wow. And it was just the, the most wonderful uh, marathon experience I've had. Oh, I can only imagine that is. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That is so special and, and just brings a smile. I bet you everyone is running along smiling right now because that's just just amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, okay, so let's talk about, you, you know, you've just mentioned that your father ran his last marathon at 75. Um, you know, you still run yourself now, but, you know, many of my listeners are kind of um, masters runners or, you know, getting older. And let's talk about running as you age. You know, ha for, for those listening who are really starting to struggle with, okay, the best years are behind me. Um, my times are getting slower. How do you stay positive and kind of find joy in that journey when you know that things are only going to get harder? This is a prime example of um, runners choosing which brain component they want to govern their running. Mm -hmm. They're letting the ego uh, get the upper hand. The ego is in the ancient subconscious brain. And once they get on that track, uh, which they've been on since they were younger mm -hmm. in times and trying to keep those times up there, it's not going to be a battle that will be won ultimately. Mm -hmm. And so then you just have to realize I, I reached that 
in the year 1978. And uh, I really was of the belief that I would not set any more personal records. It turns out that I had one more that I did set, and that was the marathon, and it occurred two years after that. Mm -hmm. However, it was really somewhat depressing at first when I would, would go month after month, and the times in races were getting slower. And so on this one epiphany uh, run in 1978, uh, I had this down feeling for most of the run, thinking, well, my competitive days at, at the elite level are over. I'm just not going to be able to keep up anymore. And then the last mile, I got this epiphany, and, and what it was was if I don't have to keep improving, then I can focus on something else. Mm. I can be injury free. I can enjoy every run. I can run with friends. Mm -hmm. I can bring uh, my family members into this. And as a result of that, I finished taking walk breaks with a mission to be injury free for the rest of my life. This also gets back to which brain component do you want? to govern your run. And you have a choice and you can activate your human brain from the beginning of any run. But if you start to go awry, focus on what you want to get out of that run, what you want to get out of the next month of running, how you want to feel when you're 100 years old and you're still running. <laughs> yep. You want to be one of those Facebook videos that everyone shares of, um, of, of you being the one that... Uh you know, is doing that race and everyone's like, oh, that's so amazing to watch. Um, is it Ida, Ida Keeling or Ida Neeling? Well, yeah. that's why I wrote the Running Till 100 book, because mm -hmm. so many people were asking about that. Mm -hmm. How do I do that? Yeah. And uh, well, hopefully many of us listening are, are those people. Um, okay. So just... One more thing related to that. I have a question from one of my Patreon listeners, Sari, who wants to know, um, you know, related to aging and um, you've mentioned there that you kind of thought you were at the end of your, your PRs and, and then you had, you did have one more. Is there a kind of age that people can kind of say, all right, I need to start mentally preparing or, um, you know, how do you, how do you know when your time is coming to an end? Is there an, is there an age or anything you would suggest people start getting ready for? The clock will tell you that. Mm. Uh, and so my suggestion is that uh, runners who want to stay competitive, particularly in their age groups, could have a strategy every single month. Do the workouts that work for you. Mm -hmm. uh, one uh, suggestion that I found um, when I started studying for my Running Till 100 book, and that is that as you get older, you don't need as much speed work to stay where you are. Mm. And if you put in the amount of speed work that you used 10 years earlier, you're probably going to get injured or you're going to stay tired all the time. So changing things up to not workouts that aren't quite as exhausting and mileage base that's not as high, and then working on the specific aspects of training, such as those longer long runs and the targeted speed mm -hmm. sessions. Um, and, you know, what this gets into 
is constantly adjusting your run, walk, run. Uh, and, and a lot of folks who have trouble uh, identifying with run, walk, run, I say, just call it an interval training yeah, method. For sure, You're going to go yeah. out for some interval training because that is what it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I did the exact thing this morning. My workout this morning, I, I took walk breaks. I did uh, mine probably a little bit longer than what you usually recommend, but I definitely took uh, a minute of walk break for each between each re- repeat. So definitely hear you. And, and thank you for explaining that. All right. So let's talk about you as a whole. You know, you have this big, if you want to call it like empire, essentially you have retreats, you've mentioned your books, you have your Pheidippides, uh, running shop, which by the way, we did have uh, Dean Karnaz is on last month and he kind of told us the full story of Pheidippides, which was pretty cool. And I didn't even kind of put it together until I um, was researching for this episode. Uh, you do coaching, you have training plans, you run Disney uh, consultant, you have a running school. How do you find the time for all of this? And emails, you mentioned five to six hours. So yeah. Well, I don't do all of it every day. And so I have to uh, schedule very carefully what I do. Uh, And and fortunately, I have a great staff in my uh, store and in my business that allows me to be able to do all of these other various things that I do. As a matter of fact, tonight we're putting on our biggest race, which will be a corporate race, uh, starts at 7 p.m. and runs through the middle of downtown Atlanta mm. for 12,000 people. It's a corporate team-building fitness wow. event, wow. and it's just wonderful. Oh, cool. But my staff is is empowered to do what needs to be done. I get there and just orchestrate. It's fa- oh. fantastic. That is great. And and very lucky that you have found people that you really can trust with this stuff. And have you found it's more difficult as you age? You know, have your priorities changed um, to, you know, want to keep going and want to um, know, you know, which things to say yes to and which things to kind of say, oh, thank you, but no. Well, I do make mistakes from time to time because there are a lot of opportunities out there. But um, I... Um, I've gotten better at uh, saying no, Mm -hmm. because uh, it is much better to go with the things that I do extremely well and help more people Mm -hmm. instead of be spread out in uh, different projects. And do you ever struggle with kind of maintaining motivation to keep talking about the topics? Like, does it ever feel like you're going through the motions or are you still just as fired up as you ever were? Oh, I'm just as as excited as I've ever been. I mean, it's the relation to that person that I'm talking to. And uh, I see the light bulbs go on Mm. and and I I feel the energy of that person. And then the uh, aha moments, you know, that that always come about when I'm talking with somebody. Uh, So I get a whole lot of rewards. And then uh, we have our event in Atlanta, my wife's 5K in the half marathon in December. So I'm constantly helping people train on a timetable for that every single day. So mm-hmm. that keeps me focused on <laughs> calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, that definitely helps. And just to wrap up here with that, uh, you know, what is it about the running community and the people in the running community that you feel is so special that keeps you feeling, you know, that excited? 
running changes people, uh, and I hear this every day from somebody, uh, and during a week, it's dozens of people. Uh, the concept is what happens in the brain. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only do you have these brain circuits that are turned on, and the scientists tend to say that you need to get out there for 30 minutes to, to get those circuits really turned on, because that's the point when the hormones start getting dumped for the, for the good. I'm talking about uh, calming hormones if you're agitated, or pepper-upper hormones if you need that pepping up, mm -hmm. and a whole host of other hormones that, that allow you to focus better, to be able to solve problems better, and then uh, to be able to uh, relate to your friends and family afterwards too. You never have to be out of commission. So that's an interesting response because that remains, reminds me of a few months ago within my community, people were talking about um, running and just how wonderful the people are within the running community and which one's the chicken and which one's the egg. So kind of from what you're saying, the running is, well, I guess the running is the first one, whichever people want to say, chicken or egg, um, because you feel that running is just what brings out kind of the best in people. Is that what you're saying? There are a number of studies that are out there. Uh, the older ones uh, actually came out uh, way before brain scanning devices were developed to be able to tabulate mm. what was happening and, and what these uh, brain hormones were all about. And uh, the original studies were done on personality profiles. And it was found that runners tended to have the highest levels of the good attitude mm. behavior traits and the lowest level on the depressive scale. Mm. And that as a person got into running, those who were depressed tended to get better and better. I'm not going to say that they became Pollyannas, but they definitely got up to having a better attitude on a more consistent basis and and those types of positive effects. Absolutely. We had an episode a few months ago with Matt Davis and we focused on depression and he specifically mentioned the power of, of running uh, when you are in that situation. Okay. One more area I wanted to cover before we get on to the final four questions. Um, as if anyone didn't know by now, I am racing the Walt Disney World half marathon. I have yes. been talking about this race. Jeff, you know, you, I've been emailing you back and forth, but you would not believe how many times I've mentioned this race to my community. They're probably sick of me hearing about it, but you being the official Run Disney training consultant, I'm very excited. So, Tell us a bit about what you do with Run Disney. You know, for someone who doesn't even know what a Run Disney event is, they're probably figuring, okay, it's at Disney World, Disneyland. They used to be, correct? Those ones have... Yes, they're on hiatus now, but they will be back. So tell us about, yeah, what it is. Well, my role is, first of all, to post the training schedules on the Run Disney website. And they're schedules for those who just want to finish for the first time, uh, for those that have time goals, and then there, there's a, a schedule uh, on some of the uh, events in, in between that. But the point is that uh, I do suggest run, walk, run. However, a nonstop runner can still use the schedule because it will build them up to the distance of the event. Mm -hmm. And in the case of a time goal, it will give them some speed sessions that have been proven to improve times at those distances. Um, so secondly, uh, I'm at the expos 
from the time they open until they close. Uh, sometimes it's 12 hours uh, right there on my feet. And uh, I'm answering questions constantly and, and uh, of course, posing for pictures and, and you name it. Uh, when people want something uh, that's been bothering them to go away, they usually come by the booth. And <laughs> I can usually find a reason or two yeah. and, and a solution or two. Uh, so that's really a, a fantastic thing. And then I run um, at least a half marathon in, in January. I have been running the Dopey, which is wow. the 5K on Thursday, the 10K on Friday, the half on Saturday, and then the full on Sunday. And I've then done going to do the expo. Yes. I've done <laughs> all of them for five years. Wow. Now, I agreed to my wife's suggestion at the end of this year's uh, Dopey that I would retire from the Dopey. And so I'm going to go back now to having uh, my event um, when you come to Disney World uh, as being the marathon. I've run all of the Disney marathons, all 25 of them. Wow. And I am looking forward to uh, doing that. And and well, the, the biggest challenge for me is I've got to get up at 2.30, uh, get over to the race, uh, do some media stuff there, uh, run the race, and then get back to shower and, and grab something to eat quickly and get to the expo and be mm-hmm. on my feet for 10 to 12 hours yeah. and then do it all again the next day. I and know, yeah. That I is. will tell you, at the end of those four days of expo, I have been a tired puppy. <laughs> so is that uh, your most intense weekend of the year, would you say? Yes, it, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Without a doubt. But, you know, um, I enjoy doing it, uh, but I'm going to enjoy doing just the marathon from now. <laughs> but what a thing to say, I'm just running the marathon. I know, yeah. that's Not many people can say that. And I'm just doing the marathon. Oh, and I'm also working the expo. So just, <laughs> Jeff, once again, showing how incredible you are. And, and just for someone listening, why should people consider doing a run Disney event? I mean, even if you're not a like crazy Disney fan like I might be or some people listening are, what what is so special about the the run Disney events? People ask me regularly, uh, what is it about Disney? And, and they also ask, what are my favorite events? Well, I say events are like, they're in categories. Mm. They're like children. They're different. Each one's <laughs> yeah. different. But there are categories that I I have sorted uh, out. And the category for hospitality is clearly won by Disney because they know how to do that. They know transport you, get you back, how to entertain you during the events, uh, to have uh, like uh, this coming weekend, not, not this weekend, but weekend after whining and dining down at Walt Disney World for the Wine and Dine Half Marathon and mm-hmm. other events. And so you are spoiled uh, when you do a Disney event, but it's spoiled in a really good way. Uh, and the entertainment is not just the Disney characters and the music out there and, and the video that's up on the course at various places. Other runners wearing costumes. <laughs> And some of them are just amazing. And you're looking at them and you're trying to figure out how they put that together. And then some of them, you just have to laugh. And and that's really fun, too. So it really is a whole source 
of good feelings for the whole weekend. Mm -hmm. And uh, you are making me so excited. I'm getting butterflies in my stomach even thinking about it. I am so excited. I can't even put it into words. And um, for anyone listening, I'm, I'm going to do a meetup. So if you haven't signed up and you are interested in doing it, there are some spots available. So come, come join me and, and you can meet Jeff down there too. All right. We're just going to take a moment to thank our sponsors and we'll be back with Running for All Four. Earlier in the show, I introduced you to our new sponsor, Bombus. You may remember I did a giveaway with Bombus for my birthday week, and I've been raving about them on social media. Why? Because I just love them. Two years of research and development led to multiple improvements of the sock design, performance, and comfort, including arch support system that gives you extra support where you need it, stay in place technology while not being too loose, and they never leave a mark. And the seamless toe means that there's no more of that annoying bump on your toes. But you want to know the best part. One pair sold is one pair donated. Did you know that socks are the number one most requested item in homeless shelters? But you actually can't donate used socks. That's why Bombas donates one brand new pair of socks for every pair they sell. To date, they've sold and donated over 9 million pairs. Bombas were created for runners, walkers, power lounges, snowboarders, Netflixers, and to me, they feel like you are getting one of those lovely tight squeeze hugs, the ones that just really mean a lot, which I love to give. Some people hate them, but I love them. And here's the bit you want to know. Running for your listeners get 20% off your first order by going to bombas.com forward slash running for real. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com forward slash running for real and you'll get 20% off your first order with code running for real with the number four. You enjoying these cool mornings? How about the intense workouts that are just as hard as they always were? I don't know about you, but I always feel like workouts are going to be somehow easy in the fall after a hot summer, but they're still well hard. I still feel beaten up after hard days and after long runs and I still get sore the next day, but less sore when I have body health perfect amino to speed up the recovery process. I take a lot of comfort knowing that it is working hard to repair my muscles as soon as I stop running or strength training. Then I can eat my meal, my usual 25 minutes later to fuel up again. I wish I could say I used that time to stretch, foam roll, do mobility and rehab, but let's be realistic, that doesn't always happen. Usually I'm jumping in the shower and trying to get clothes on before Bailey starts crying or I have to do something else on my list. At least I know Body Health Perfect Amino has my back right from the stop of my watch. If you don't believe me, you can try Body Health Perfect Amino with 100% money back guarantee. So if you don't like it or you can't see a difference, you can get your money back. Use coupon code TINA10 for 10% off everything at bodyhealth.com. And if you aren't a fan of the tablets, they also have Perfect Amino XP powder and there's a new mixed berry flavor to try. Remember, code TINA10 will get you 10% off at bodyhealth.com. All right, Jeff, just four more questions, starting with... Do you have uh, an example of a photo that you can think of that maybe is on social media, maybe it's just surfaced its way on the internet that maybe doesn't quite show the full story about what was going on? Uh, there is a photo on my website of uh, when I was running with Steve Prefontaine. <laughs> and uh, so there is a story behind that. Uh, as as there is a story <laughs> behind most of the photos that are on our website, we were uh, training at uh, Bowdoin College before we went overseas to Munich, and uh, we were getting in uh, a run around the campus there. Mm. Uh, and the other 
member of our uh, trio there was Jack Batchelor, who was another teammate of mine from the Florida Track Club. And uh, the main thing that uh, we were discussing is uh, what was going to happen in Munich. And Jack had some very good insights there. And Pre was was saying what he was going to do. And and I was just soaking it in. <laughs> That's cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right. What about a running for real moment? Something that owners, only runners will understand. One of the key elements of running is energy supply. And I, I think uh, every one of us has our own individual sources of energy and, and feeding schedule for that. Uh, but the one thing where people have problems is um, eating what to eat the night before a big race. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, carbo loading is something that you will hear rampantly all over the running community. But most people don't understand what that is. Uh, yeah. Carbohydrate loading was a method, a prescribed method that was used during the 70s to deplete your stores of glycogen and then to try to overload on them mm -hmm. after that depletion. And it's been debunked as an appropriate strategy for, uh, re for stocking more glycogen than you need. So the bottom line now uh, that I have found through uh, a lot of work with runners is that you just don't overeat, but, yeah. but eat things that have worked for you before so that you know they worked and they not, they're not going to cause problems. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right, what about a high moment for you, or is it what you mentioned earlier about your dad? Well, that certainly was, was one of my high moments. Um, another high moment was unexpectedly making the Olympic team in the 10K. Uh, it, it was a hot day, which was to my advantage, and I knew darn well from training in Tallahassee uh, what pace I could sustain. So I started at that pace, which put me in last place for four laps, uh -huh. dead last. And then a uh, runner came back to me, and I passed him, and it was just one runner after another, but I didn't focus on getting on the team because I didn't think that was possible. Mm. I simply worked on the next person, one focused person that I stalked at a time and then passed. And at four and a half miles, I was so surprised when I did an accounting, finding that I was in third place and very soon finished in second place. And it, it was the most glorious competitive mm. moment in my life to finish that oh. and then to be knowing that I was going to the big dance to the Olympics. The follow-up on that is that my teammate, Jack Batchelor, who was in that photo with Prefontaine, um, was fourth, but he got disqualified because he bumped another runner coming down the home stretch. And uh, so I volunteered to pace Jack through the marathon that was one week later. We started out in about 100th place. We very gradually moved up. Uh, the last five miles, he was exhausted. So I cheered him on and and kept pepping him up. And, and we came in the stadium together. And at the finish line, I backed off so he could be the official qualifier. And so both of those moments in the Olympic trials were just 
my most amazing uh-huh. moments. I have heard that story before, and I just, I mean, that if if nothing else that people have seen in this interview just shows how genuine, how kind you are, Jeff, and it's just amazing. So um, thank you for sharing those. And one final question for you. What do you tell yourself on the start line of a race? Or if it has changed, what did you used to tell yourself at the start line when you were racing competitively? Well, I learned a lot from my teammate, Frank Shorter. Frank is, to this day, probably the most cognitive runner that I've ever met, in which uh, he would constantly go through what he was going to do. And sometimes he would talk out loud, and sometimes you could just uh, see his brain operating <laughs> and and in his actions uh, that he would do, and, and they were very deliberate. But um, I had many, many conversations with him, and particularly if he and I were next to one another on a starting line, and, and Frank would just go over his strategy, both uh, the first mile or two and then on into the race. Uh, I learned a lot in that when you have a strategy like that and you go over it cognitively, you're going to suppress the activation of the ancient subconscious brain that starts to generate anxiety hormones. Mm -hmm. And so you can stay positive. You can uh, keep those hormones from going in, and then you can put those strategies into action once the race starts. Mm, Love that. Thank you so much. And I'm sure there's, is there somewhere people can read about that kind of uh, things that Frank has said about, okay. Well, the mental training book so that's in your uh, has, book? has those strategies in there, uh, okay. that one and a number of other ones, too. But it explains the whole overall concept of needing a cognitive strategy for whatever you do. That just doesn't work uh, uh, only in running. It's also appropriate in life itself. Sure, it, yeah. And what would, what would be the final thing that went through your brain as you leave the start line? Well, you know, the, the, the word go is said or the, the gun fires. Um, I simply focus on the people that are immediately mm. ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And, and my whole concept is to draw off of their energy mm. and, and sort of let them pull me along. And then the other concept is we're all in this together. Yes. We're, we're not... I'm not trying to beat all those people. We're pulling one another along. And then at the end, whoever has it, go for it. Love that. Thank you so much. That's great. Okay, Jeff, how can people find out more about you? Um, You know, we've mentioned many of the things you do. You also have retreats in Lake Tahoe, uh, Carmel, Blue Mountains Beach. Um, Where can people find out more about you if they want to follow along in the future or maybe even join you at an event? Well, thank you. JeffGalloway.com has all of that. And we also have a free monthly newsletter that has nutrition and uh, training and, and other types of fitness information in okay. it. Uh, and you can subscribe by going to JeffGalloway.com. Okay, great. And I think it's at the bottom of the page if you do that. I did see that on there. So um, thank you so much, Jeff, for your insight, for your kindness, for all that you've given to the the running world. We really are so fortunate to have you. And uh, yeah, just thank you for being here. Well, you do a great job, Tina. And I look forward to uh, many more times when we can talk. So come by the booth at Disney World. I definitely will.
My friends, if you have a minute and you could leave a review on your favorite podcast player, Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Class, Spotify, or whatever else podcast player you use to listen to this podcast, or if you would subscribe to this podcast, you will help me get out in front of new runners to make our tribe even bigger and even better. It might not seem like you as one person can make a difference, but really it helps a lot. And it shows me you appreciate the hard work I put in for those. Thank you so much. Can you believe what he said about what he does every year with the dopey challenge and then stands at the expo for 10 to 12 hours um, every day of the four day event? Absolutely amazing. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could do two of those days. I think I'd be complaining if I had to do one of them just such a guy, so much enthusiasm. Can you imagine having talked to half a million people about running and you're still just as passionate as that? Jeff is just such an inspiration, truly one of the leaders and just names in our sport. Absolutely amazing. I just loved his advice there, the way that he makes everything so real, so relatable to all of us of every level. So thank you so much to Jeff for giving us his time today. You can find links to everything we talked about today, in addition to many of Jeff's uh, offerings, uh, in the show notes, which you can find at tinamuir.com forward slash episode 84. And if you didn't notice, I did have a few questions today from Patreon members. If you want to show your appreciation for all the free stuff I give you through my emails, through this podcast, um, through the Running For Real Superstars community, all that stuff. If you can afford a few dollars, a few pounds, euros, whatever currency you have um, each month, I would really appreciate it. And um, you can also get your questions answered in a future episode. You will also get to know who um, is coming up to six weeks in advance. So just giving you a bit of a, a, bit of a cheat look there. You can find links in the show notes or at patreon.com forward slash running for real. Thank you so much for your support in advance. Now, next week, we have my dear friend, Sarah Crouch. And this is going to be quite a funny conversation for you because, as you can tell, usually I introduce the episodes as hello, you know, welcome to the Running for Real podcast. And this one, I did not introduce her. I literally called her up and started recording. So it's a real conversation. We got really real with a lot of the things we talked about there. Sarah admitted a lot of things that um, I've never heard her talk about before. And it was just a great conversation. So you have that one next Friday. If you subscribe at um, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, any of the podcast players that you find podcasts on, that will mean it comes straight to you on that day. You don't have to remember to look it up. So I would really appreciate any subscribes. That really shows uh, the rankings that you appreciate me. And I appreciate you for listening today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great week and I'll see you Monday. Thanks for listening to the Running For Real podcast. Be sure to check out tinamuir.com for show notes and even more helpful running information.